0: Thank you for listening to the Institute of World Politics podcast. To learn more about our graduate programs in national security, international affairs, and intelligence, or to support our work in educating future leaders, please visit www.iwp.edu. Well, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for staying up with us. I'd like to thank the speaker and the visitors. I really appreciate that the Kurtika Foundation went into publishing business in English. Uh, Not to jump on the professor, but when he says, it is well-known, that means three Poles know about it. (laughs) Nobody in the United States of America or anywhere in the English-speaking world. So I appreciate his lecture. I appreciate his play. Presence, yes. Thank nice you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the Kutika Foundation. And the the translator. Yes. Excellent. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> now, I'm glad the apple hasn't fallen far from the tree. Uh, when I first met his father, it was in 1990, I was surprised that he was um, interested in the wartime and the post-war underground, which was one and the same thing, in Poland, anti-Nazi and anti-communist, because first he told me that his dissertation was on, I think, the estates of the Count Tarnowski in medieval times or something. Tarnowski. Yes. Oh, Tęczyński, OK. Well, yes. and I'm sorry, I know the Tarnowskis. I don't know the Tęczyński, but anyway. Um, and then I equipped, you know, one of my friends, mentors and dinosaurs here in the United States wrote about milling law in medieval times. That was his dissertation, Wojciech Varschutinsky, and we both laughed. But I, I was trained as a Sovietologist, and then um, I morphed into a, an intermarium specialist lands between the Black and Baltic Sea. But today I will... Uh, uh, tell you about the enduring relevance of Katyn. Yakov Djugashvili, Stalin's son, while incar- incarcerated in a German POW camp, upon hearing about the Katyn Forest Massacre, asked how many victims there had been. About 5,000, he was told. Only? That's not a big deal, he responded. Uh, as far as the numbers, he was right by... Soviet standards. Even when we remember that the Polish uh, POW victims murdered in the spring of 1940 amounted to over 25,000 people killed in three locations, we should consider that Stalin murdered at least 25 million human beings. So indeed, by Stalin Jr. standards, 5,000? Not a big deal. Most of the victims of the Communists in the Soviet Union were Russians. Uh, it's just the Russians have a tougher time remembering than others. So why we remember katyn in particular when we are faced with an ocean of victims? There are public and private reasons at stake. As far as American national interest, cutting remains a useful point of reference when dealing with tyrannical regimes. It teaches us the use and abuse of memory and relativity of facts in service of regimes that are inimical to freedom. Katyn is a symbol of Soviet terror, deception, and mendacity. Unfortunately, it's also a symbol of craven appeasement of Moscow by the West. President Roosevelt was a dupe, but Prime Minister Churchill knew exactly what had happened in uh, in the Katyn forest with the allied Polish POW officers. Let us not talk out loud he whispered to his assistant. And this became the West's policy well into the 1970s. Hence it behooves us to remember cutting not only for the sake of justice, for the sake of the memory of the victims, but also for the sake of sound statecraft. When dealing with the Kremlin, one should always have cutting in mind. Why? because the denizens of the Kremlin are the descendants of the NKVD. In fact, Putin himself brags that he's a Czechist. Once a Czechist, always a Czechist, a secret policeman. Further, a post-KGB narrative, uh, bought by some of our intelligence operators here in the United States, and almost universally by uh, mainstream media, holds that Soviet intelligence officers are just like our spooks. Nothing can be more wrong. But it has led to many false foreign policy moves on our part. For example, the United States decided to protect, retain, and cooperate with the communist secret policemen who transformed themselves into post-communist secret policemen after 1989. Our own Professor Ken de Graffenried warned, you can buy the KGB, but they do not stay bought. Hence, he advised option zero. To liquidate the communist secret services totally and replace the organization with a free democratic service. Had he been listened to, there would, have, would not have been Putin, and many other pathologies could have been avoided. Professor and Reed internalized the lesson of cutting very well. He would not be duped. This was unlike some of his colleagues in the U.S. intelligence community who either were cynics or fell for the trope of the alleged universal fellowship of spies. Are American intelligence operators just like the Soviet and post-Soviet ones? Hardly. Let's take Vasily Zarubin, for example. He was in charge of counterintelligence operations against Polish POW officers. He questioned them and prepared not only their mass murder, but also the terror against their families. Would you like to send a postcard to your wife? What's her name? What's her address? That was his job. Is that what the CIA does? Mass murders? and deport millions to the gulag? Please do not compare apples and oranges. That's also a lesson of cutting. Uh, and now for the personal. In August 2010, uh, I went to Smolensk. I was on the way to Moscow, but I alighted in Smolensk and didn't know the train would leave in three minutes. Oh, I was since I was there, I decided to uh, to um, uh, pay my tribute to Lech Kaczynski and Janusz Kurtyka and others who went down in a fire crash of the Polish presidential plane right there in Smolensk when they were on their way to the Katyn. I also afterwards traveled to visit the graves of my family members in the Katyn forest. There are two. One is uh, Simeon Kazimierz Sodakiewicz, a lawyer. In his civilian life and a, uh, a second lieutenant with the radio company who was my grandfather's cousin and the second one was cavalry captain rotmich Jan Furman he was the grandfather of my uncle professor Stan Velish of Columbia University economist now the family came to the United States the villages in 1941 at the request of Prime Minister Sikorski to represent Poland and lobby for post-war reconstruction. And when uh, Sikorski visited America, he stayed with our family for a little bit, and he promised Stan's father that he would inquire about Jan Furma. Leopold Veliszk uh, made sure that the, that the Prime Minister kept his word. Why? Jan Furman had been Sikorski's adjutant during the Polish-Bolshevik War. So, Sikorski knew him well, knew him personally, and knew the family well, and used to visit. So, Sikorski turned to Stalin and asked about uh, Polish officers. And Stalin immediately shot back because he was a wise guy. Like, who? And Sikorsky said, well, Rotmish Jan Furman. So Stalin turned to Molotov and said, well, what happened to them? And this is when the famous, they escaped to Manchuria, came. But the excuse was Jan Furman. Um, And then Sikorsky, when he returned to the United States, uh, or maybe through Minister Strasbourg, I forgot which one, uh, let our family know about this particular conversation. About this particular conversation. Uh, last but not least, there is a, a cutting IWP connection. Uh, number one, Professor Tierney, who had to leave, was a student of J.K. Zavodny. So he not only knows about the Cutting Forest mass Massacre since his student days. 60 years ago, but he also knows about the Warsaw Uprising, where Professor Zabon had fought. Uh, Number two, we bring up cutting here periodically, and uh, during conferences like this, so this is not an anomaly, this is the rule, and for example, Colonel Devlet's report and the latest cutting revela- uh, revelations were unveiled for the first time here by uh, uh, one of the leading Polish-American experts, Kristina Piurkowska, who came to us to, from New York and unveiled her goodies, things that others couldn't fi- find she did. In any event, you're welcome to forgive if the perpetrators show remorse and contrition. They and their descendants usually don't. Once a a human rights organization, Memorial from Russia, sent me a gulag file of my grandfather, Jan Hodakievich from Ogorsk. A letter was appended apologizing to me for the suffering of my family. I wrote a letter back to, human right, to the human right, rights activists to tell them they, sh- they shouldn't apologize because they are usually themselves victims, either victims or uh, descendants of victims of communism. The perpetrators should apologize. Unfortunately, the successors to the perpetrators, spiritually and institutionally, still remain in power in Russia and that is why, and that is also why it is important to continue to remember cutting. Thank you very much.